Today's episode is all about the employee experience, and we're providing best practices for appreciating and rewarding your employees. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have driven success for them throughout their career? Then we take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, in today's episode, we are going to be sitting down with Dr. Paul White, who is an expert in employee experience, specifically around the areas of appreciation and recognition. And we're going to go deep here into unpacking and defoliating one of his more recent books, which is The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. Now, Dr. White wrote this book with Dr. Gary Chapman. And if you're a big relationship guru or uh, you study that space a lot, you might recognize Dr. Gary Chapman's name as the author of The Five Love Languages. So if you've ever heard your spouse talk about that, uh, we're going to kind of unpack and make ties to The Five Love Languages to really how you appreciate your employees in the workspace. Now, this is a, a really unique episode because, again, we're going to dive deep into how you as a leader can better recognize and appreciate your employees so that ultimately you can create a more productive workforce. Um, and, and this is a topic that's really important and hits home for us here at Engagement because one of the products that we developed over the pandemic is a really robust recognition program uh, complete with digital and physical elements to it. And we've been working with different organizations like University of Texas, Penn State, Austin FC to implement these rewards and recognition programs to ultimately drive key behaviors. Um, So if you're interested in learning more about what that looks like, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at David Malay, or feel free to email us hello at engagementpartners.com or my email David M at engagementpartners.com. So without further ado, uh, let's jump into this episode with Dr. Paul White so we can unpack some best practices that you can apply to your organization around the areas of recognition and appreciation. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. I am excited to jump in on this topic around employee experience, uh, recognition, appreciation, Topics that are super, super relevant for every leader in the space right now. Why don't we start with this question around how how is employee engagement really become the kind of focal point for people that are, are leaders that are in the business right now? I mean, how is how have things changed in the last couple of years around employee engagement? Well, it's actually changed, been changing before that as well, but it's it sort of hyper changed in the last couple of years. Whereas, you know, most business and organizational leaders were focused on, you know, getting tasks done, the profitability, and sort of the hard kinds of um, metrics for businesses. And for a long time, they were able to focus on that. But as our culture has changed, as younger uh, employees have come in with different sets of values and goals, uh, you know, if they want to keep those employees, uh, leaders need to change. And so it's more towards you know, how do we keep our, our team members satisfied or engaged? And engaged meaning um, they're not only there physically, but they're, they're there, you know, mentally and emotionally as well. So they're not just going through the motions. And so for a while it was sort of, you know, employee recognition, you know, give them a, you know, a certificate or maybe a little gift or something. Um, and then pretty quickly it moved away from that because it didn't feel real genuine. It, it was very impersonal and just sort of generic for everybody to, you know, with COVID and people working from home, we found out that uh, people need connectedness with one another, not only about work tasks, but also about their personal life. Because when we're in the office or in the same setting, we'll chat about the game last night or how our kids did this weekend and so forth. When you're on Zoom calls and meetings, there's not 
much room for that unless you really structure it. And so people started to feel like, you know, uh, people only ask me about work and it's like they don't care about me at all. And so that's why we've had sort of this transition of people choosing maybe to uh, change where they're working and, and what they're doing. Yeah, so and I, I think we, we affectionately call it the, the great resignation is how I've heard it termed uh, in many places. There are a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I think okay. actually it, uh, somebody suggested to me it might be the great migration. It's not that people are, are just pulling out of the workforce, but they're changing what they're doing and, and changing either the location as far as the the company, but even maybe uh, their career path that they've realized that, hey, go in this direction with you know lots of travel and big stuff uh, isn't really what I want long term because it's, it's tough to raise a family that way. I like that terminology change of resignation to migration because you're right. It's not like people are just retiring at 25. They're going and doing something else. And I think it's important for leaders to dive in and find out what those things are that they're leaving for. Um, but let's talk about the role specifically that kind of appreciation and recognition play in maybe retaining some of these employees. This is when we talk to our, our clients and partners, I mean, employee and staff turnover is like the biggest thing that's on everybody's mind Huge. right now. Right. So historically, employee recognition uh, has worked in the terms of, uh, and it started out really with focusing on what do you want people to do, sort of. Uh, set up their goals, monitor it, and reward it, right? And so that tended to go into uh, recognition and rewards, that they would get recognized in front of the large group, usually, you know, an annual meeting or maybe a quarterly or something, and then some kind of bonus or something along with that. And that's fine uh, in it, when it's focused on performance, but what we've seen and our real focus is that uh, employees are people and that they have lives and they want to be um, valued as a person not just for what they get done yeah work is about work and we need to get it done but there's more than that and so what we found is that when people don't feel valued and appreciated uh, you're really at risk for for losing them one study showed 79 percent of the people who leave a job voluntarily uh, cite a lack of appreciation as one of the main reasons they leave most managers and Owners think that people leave for more money, um, and research clearly shows for five decades that's not true, uh, that only 12% of employees say they're leaving for more money. They may get more money, but it's secondary because leaving a job is sort of an emotionally taxing process, right? And so it takes an emotional driver to, to actually pull the trigger. And so it's when you just feel like, man, they don't give a rip about me or what I say or do or they're just using me, then, then people leave. Well, and it's become this kind of snowball effect too. And I can speak to it, especially from the sports space where we are, where traditionally leaders have said, all right, if you don't want to work here, that's fine. We got a line of people out the door that want to work here. And we've totally seen that change where a job application or a role that would have got 300 applications is now getting three. And right. it's, it's a huge, huge issue. Um, but let, let's talk maybe about some, some specific ways that we can deliver better appreciation in the workplace. I know you've got a great book called Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about kind of the first, how you came together with the book, and then sure. obviously the book explains a lot of tactics for how we can get into delivering better appreciation in the workplace. Yeah, so I'm a psychologist by training, and I grew up in the context of a family-owned business, and for uh, a period of my career, I consulted with family-owned businesses and dealing with the relational issues involved working together, as well as transferring it across generations. And I had an experience where I was uh, meeting with a dad who was the CEO, at, and we were in the middle of the succession plan. I said, how's it going? He says, it's going well. My son's stepping up. I think it's going to be okay. I walk across the hall, ask the son the same question. He says, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I can't ever please my dad. And um, I thought, okay, what's going on here? And at the same time, personally, my wife and I were reading through Dr. Chapman's Five Love Languages, which is, you know, crazy, amazing book. It's sold 20 million copies and, and 50 languages. But I thought, I wonder if these principles can work in work-based relationships. So I pursued him for a year, finally got to him. We uh, decided to work together, put together an online assessment, which we've now had over 300,000 people take. And, uh, and then training materials. And so it's about 
appreciating the person. And, and, you know, it's not rocket science. I mean, one of the principles is not everybody feels appreciated in the same way, right? And so most of us intellectually assent to that, but we may not really implement that, partly because we don't know what else to do. So the five languages are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and even physical touch, which is an interesting one in the sports world. And, um, uh, you know, they're the same as the five love languages, but they look differently in how they're applied. Words of affirmation are essentially words that are affirming. You're saying, hey, thanks for, you know, getting here early, setting things up for the meeting so we're good to go when our, our customers arrive. A key part about words that most people miss is you've got to be specific. We have about 100,000 people on our newsletter list, and we do polls. And once we asked, you know, what don't you like to hear? And one of the main things people don't like to hear in the workplace is good job. Mm-hmm. And the reason is it's just sort of vague, general. You can say it to anybody. It doesn't really take any thought. You know, it's pretty impersonal. And so um, we really teach people to use a person's name. We like to hear a name. If you're going to write it, make sure you spell it correctly because, you know, it doesn't seem real personal if you misspell their name. Um, be specific about what they did that you value. And then third, why it's important, either to you, to the company, to the client, so that they really get the connection. And when we do that, uh, it makes sense. And words is um, the most commonly chosen language of appreciation. Uh, It's 46% of all employees, but it's still less than half of the employees. So if you only use words, you're still missing, you know, half of your team members that uh, may have a different language of appreciation. So interesting. Yeah, I, I'll give a, I'll give a little tangent. And I had never heard this before, but this girl that I'm dating right now, uh, she was talking to me and we were going into emotions and whatnot. And she used this term that I'd never heard before, which was toxic positivity. Huh. And I, I felt like that framed up what you're talking about so well. It was just this generic good job that doesn't really do anything yeah. or, hey, we got this. It's like, do we have this? Uh, and, and so getting really specific and and I I think about what you're saying as well, similar to kids, right? You're never just going to tell the kid, Hey, good job. You want to be as specific as you can give a name. Uh, and what was the framework you said? You said, give a name, you said specific and then why it's important and why it's important. I think that third piece probably gets lost a lot as well. Um, Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the other ones. So we've got quality time, access service, tangible gifts, and physical touch as it relates to love languages. But how do those other yeah. ones apply to the workplace? Well, they're, uh, they're integrals. The first three, especially quality time is about 26% of the population. So one about every four people. And it's actually changed over time. Uh, in the past, you know, there was a saying, people don't leave a job, they leave a manager. It's less true than it used to be. Uh, younger employees really are more concerned and uh, value collegial relationships, relationships with their peers. So in the past, quality time maybe was individual time with your supervisor or manager, being able to share observations or just, you know, hang out together or maybe get input. Now it's about going out to lunch or uh, after work with your friends and your colleagues. And so it's really important. And quality time is one of the languages that we found that just identifying a person's language isn't sufficient. You got to know the specific action because if it's a manager, I mean, I've had, you know, some fairly introverted uh, administrative assistants say, I don't want time with my supervisor. He's pretty intense and I'm shy. And it's just like, no, thanks. Let me out of here. I want to go hang out with my friends. And so you got to get the action right. Otherwise you still miss the target. Um, Acts of service is not rescuing a low performing colleague. It's those things that you can do that can help make somebody's day or week go better. And the, probably the best context is when you're pushing on a, a time-limited project that you're just banging on trying to get it done, working hard and long. What's something somebody can do to get, help make that go better? Whether that's bring you in lunch so you can keep working. It could be, you know, handle your phone calls or emails and so you can keep focused on the project. Um, maybe even delegate part of the project uh, to them so that they can work on that while you're working on this. And uh, that's about uh, 21%, so one of, out of every five people. And I had a CEO tell me, he said, my language is get or done. He said, don't give me stuff, don't tell me stuff, just help me get things done. I know you're on my team. And these are the people that where words are only not important, they can be negative because for them, lots of times the, the saying that's meaningful to them is, you know, words are cheap, don't sh- you know, tell me, you support me, show me. And so you've got to really get it done with them. 
and it's really specific to what the job role or industry is. I mean, we work with mining companies, with schools, hospitals, government agencies, all different kinds of things. And so, and then you have the roles in there, whether it's IT or accounting or marketing. And so you got to find out what's important to them. And again, our online assessment called the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory identifies not only a person's language, but the specific actions within that language that's important to them. Third one uh, that we touch on uh, is tangible gifts. It's not uh, bonuses, raises, compensation. That's between the employer and the employee. It's just small things to show that you're getting to know the other person. You know, maybe you go to a, a game, uh, a rivalry. You know, let's say it's the Iron Bowl, you know, between Alabama and Auburn. I lived in Atlanta for a while. And, man, church the day after the Iron Bowl was pretty <laughs> tense because he had people on both sides. And uh, But, you know, maybe they bring you, you know, something from, uh, you know, in Alabama or the program or whatever. And it's like it's not a big deal, but you just know that, you know, they'd be interested in it, you know. And so or it could be their favorite cup of coffee or, you know, seasonal kind of, uh, you know, pumpkin spice drink or whatever, um, their favorite candy bar snack or whatever. So it's more yeah. about getting to know them as a person. I, I feel and like all- know, knowing the favorite food in the workplace, bringing in some Krispy Kreme donuts or Chick-fil-A. If you bring me Chick-fil-A. I, I will know that I'm appreciated. Uh, <laughs> and the thing great. about that, if you bring in, let's say, donuts or or order pizza in, way to individualize that is make sure you know what people like and get that. So I had a team member that liked, you know, the uh, uh, maple long john kind of log things and made sure that we got that for her, you know, so that she knew we are thinking about her and knew that she liked that. Um, so interestingly, uh, you know, employee recognition programs spend a lot of money on gifts and stuff. But only 6% of the employees say that that's the main way they want to be shown appreciation. I've had people say, hey, if I never hear anything, nobody stops by to see how I'm doing, and, you know, don't help me out when I got a project, and then they give me something, especially if it's, you know, uh, sort of logo wear from, from the organization, it feels pretty superficial, right? And so uh, it's really, in, in this context, it is the thought that counts, that you're thinking about them and getting to know them. That makes tangible gifts. Uh, so, so then you have physical touch, which is the one that people always like. Oh, really, <laughs> in the workplace, um, <laughs> and there's some differences regionally, but basically it's spontaneous celebration, right? It's a high five when you uh, finish a project. It's a fist bump when you solve a problem. Maybe a congratulatory handshake when you land a contract. Um, you know, in the Northeast, I speak up in New York, New Jersey. You know, this is what physical touch looks like there. Hey. You know, I mean, you just sort of nod and, 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 and greet them across the room. Uh, in the South, lived in Atlanta, you know, they do side hugs and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And then you've got, you know, uh, cultural issues. I mean, ethnicities. I mean, our, our Hispanic uh, friends, you know, are more physical and kiss on the cheek, uh, cheek when they greet each other. So you got to pay attention to it. It's only 1% of the population. But I had a CEO of a hospital, actually, he took our inventory, and we don't have physical touch in there because of sort of the high negativity and to low, uh, you know, base rate. And he said, I was really disappointed that physical touch wasn't there. And I said, really? And in fact, he's a former military guy, and his HR director said, you know, I don't think he's going to get into this, you know, language of appreciation stuff. He said, you know, uh, you know, he played sports, and he misses the high fives mm-hmm. and, and the fist bumps, you know, because that doesn't happen a lot in the workplace. So you know it's not real common you got to be careful about it obviously the person who's receiving always gets to draw the boundaries but but it's there so i mean there are so many intricacies within each one of these from the way that you just described it what are some ways that managers can go about finding out the love languages or not the love languages the languages of appreciation in the workplace with their team yeah you know we've worked on this quite a bit and uh, you know, it's not the kind of question that you can ask easily. I mean, it's not like, hey, if you, I want to show you appreciation, what should I do? It's sort of a weird conversation in our culture. Secondly, to try to just watch them is tough because there's not, uh, you know, that many data points. And plus, we found out that about well, 75% of the time people start by using the language that's important to them, but 25% of the time they do something else, especially gift givers. A lot of gift givers like to give gifts, but they don't say like to receive gifts. It's not that meaningful to them. So that's why, you know, with our book, uh, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, we actually include a code 
for our online assessment so people can try it out and see. And then you can buy codes to take, uh, have your team members take it uh, because mm. it's more important to find out what other people's languages are. And then we have tools where you can, you know, create a PowerPoint slide that has everybody's languages and actions and, uh, and a group summary and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it sounds maybe sort of self-serving, but we haven't figured out any other way to, to really get to it except from there. Also, if you ask somebody, you know, how should you show me appreciation, they're basically going to say, I don't know, tell me thanks. And that's about all you get. And so you don't really get the breadth of, um, of the possibilities out there. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think even your, your code and going to the book and figuring that out and having employees kind of take that assessment to kind of figure out what is their best way is a, is a great way to do it. I mean, I know from our time at Disney, we used to have a form for all new employees that said, you know, we're all ears. And on it, you kind of fill out what's the best way you want to be recognized, who are your favorite characters, that sort right. of thing. But even then, you're to your point, I mean, this is like the case with any kind of survey. People are only going to give you kind of what's top of mind. You're not going to necessarily get to the deeper core of things when you're just asking questions like that, unless you're going into some type of deeper assessment. Um, so all of this kind of seems like a lot of work, right? If I'm a, if, I know this is something that we butt up against in the sports space of people running a million miles a minute. I'm on from one event to the next event. This is just kind of how things work. How can senior leaders justify this investment of energy, time, and resources in appreciation? How can we tie that to the bottom line? Yeah, well, let me, let me address this first. How can, how can you justify it? First of all, there's a miscon couple of misconceptions. One is that, you know, appreciation is the same as employee recognition, which we know that's not true. Appreciation is just words. We know that's not true. Um, and then a, a third one is that uh, appreciation really is the sole responsibility of leaders and managers and supervisors, mm -hmm. which is not true as well. You don't have the time. You don't have the energy. You're not connected with everybody. So we really uh, focus on teaching team members as well as supervisors how to show appreciation to one another so that they take responsibility. And it's interesting. Frontline workers really like this because they find it sort of interesting to find out about themselves and other people and then implement it. So it's more about uh, showing appreciation to the people that you know you work directly with because really appreciation is about the person. You, so you gotta have a relationship. If you try to show appreciation to somebody you don't even really know, it, it comes across a bit weird and maybe disingenuous. So there's that part. And number the number one sort of pushback on this is people are busy, right? I mean, it's like, you know, how am I gonna do this? And you know, I tell them, as a psychologist, I'm supposed to be an expert in behavior change, both for individuals and groups. And I promise you, we're not gonna create another to-do list. You got too many already. You got at least two, right? Your regular one and your project one, you don't need a recognition or appreciation <laughs> one. And what we found is you can do what you're already doing or almost doing and tweak it just a little bit to make it work. And, and the key is to find out what the language and actions are that are important to the recipient, to the other person, and be able to communicate that in a specific way. We don't want you writing notes to everybody. We don't want you checking into everybody. It's a bunch of wasted time and energy. Find out what that one person wants and you know, shoot the arrow that way. And what we found is when team members feel valued and appreciated, lots of good things happen. One is busyness goes down because you're not dealing with stupid little conflicts uh, that you know sort of crop up when people don't feel valued about you know their schedule or their parking spot or the size of their monitor or whatever it is. You know that kind of stuff sort of melts away when people know you value them, and and then we've got you know loads of research. I got 50 research citations in our book on. The value, we know that, in fact, the Harvard Business Review just came out with another study that showed that when there's a significant difference between uh, organizations and businesses that their team members feel valued and those that don't in terms of both productivity and profitability. One study showed that teams that feel valued and appreciated uh, produce 22% more than, uh, than those that don't. So it reduces absenteeism, tardiness, turnover is huge. Uh, it reduces staff conflict. It increases uh, customer ratings because the team members are now really sort of responding in a positive uh, way to other people. Um, it increases managers' enjoyment of their job. 
um, and so because they're not having to deal with all these stupid little problems and conflicts. So it, it's not, you know, a misconception is that appreciation is just about sort of making people feel good. Yeah, that's nice. We want that to happen. But, you know, in the business, it's more than that. It's about I, I use the the uh, analogy of it's like oil in a machine, right? If a machine doesn't have oil, it sticks, it creates heat, tension, sparks. Same thing, an organization without appreciation just doesn't run well. And when there's appreciation there, it smooths it out and helps it run effectively and, you know, get the tasks done. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, we do a lot of work on the customer experience side. And in the customer experience side, we're constantly focused on how might we remove friction from the customer experience perspective to create happiness? It's the same concept on the employee side of what I hear you saying is as a manager or a leader, all the fires and things that you're putting out are usually because at the root of it, somebody doesn't feel somebody's been out of shape. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what, it's that's right. A, you know, for some reason or another, why you can't, you know, all the different things that you hear. Uh, and so if we spend a little bit more time on the appreciation side, it would spend it, it would make sense that all the things that you just said, all the statistics that you just uh, that you just listed for us. Um, one thing I want to go back to a little bit was talking about this dispersal of the responsibility to appreciate moving that back down and encouraging other team members to in, appreciate their colleagues. You know, I, what are some of the ways that managers can encourage or incentivize their colleagues to kind of uh, recognize each other and appreciate each other a little bit more. What are some ways that leaders can encourage that that type of behavior? Well, you know, sometimes I uh, say that psychologists, you know, focus on the obvious. And, and here's an obvious one, and it's that they should model it first, right? Um, and the, when possible. I mean, to be honest, rarely do we go into an organization and sort of implement this top down because largely the C-suite of large organizations aren't really interested in this stuff. Um, right. But you go into the administrators, the managers, supervisors that see the pain, both for themselves and their people, they say, we need this. And so often we'll start there. It then grows. We went all the way across the country in Miller Coors and DirecTV. Uh, we're working with Samsung and Caterpillar now. Um, and so it's if, if you're not interested, I just tell people, hey, not everybody is interested in this. Just stand to the side. Don't become obstructive about it, but maybe support your team, provide the resources for them to get the books, their codes, have some training done. We have an online train the trainer course so that you don't have to bring in an external trainer where you can do that, but you can also train your own HR person to do this and just provide the resources for them to be able to run with it. And usually it just sort of goes viral from there because people say, hey, how come they get to do this and we're not, you know? And and they see the authenticity of it. And that's the key part. I mean, we talk about authentic appreciation. We're not here to teach people how to look like they appreciate people. And we deal with the issue if you don't, you know, appreciate what do you do, uh, somebody, what do you do with that? Um, so. Beautiful. What I want to one other topic I want to talk about here while we're on this concept of kind of driving it to the bottom line. What's the value? How do we disperse it and ultimately create more value for the business? We started off with talking about the great resignation and employees leaving. Are, are there data or trends that you've seen around the cost of replacing employees and how appreciation might stem that? I mean, what, what have you seen from that side of the house? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's lots of good data about that. And it's at least usually two to three times the cost of their salary, right? Um, and it goes up the higher up the ladder you go for the position. So, and in fact, I don't have those numbers memorized, but we quote we have it reported in our, in our book where it's just, it's huge. In fact, I mean, uh, replacing staff is the highest non-productive cost for every organization. And that tell, 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 me more, tell me more. Well, it doesn't add any value to, to your organization, but it takes time. I mean, think about the cost. You have loss of relationships, right? You have loss of sort of company and organizational history of how you've done things in the past and how these people respond, your clients responded to certain kinds of initiatives. Some worked well for some and not for others. You have the whole issue of overload. This is huge in some industries now, healthcare, long-term care, where when there's an, a space empty, somebody's picking it up. 
I mean, usually it's not not getting done I mean, occasionally, but so then you're stressing your staff out more, which then means puts them at risk for leaving, but also being sick, less productive. Um, the training time that it takes, obviously, you know, you're not getting as much done when somebody's being trained and the person who's training them is doing it. So there's just, it, they're hidden costs lots of times uh, until, unless you also do, you know, searches and then interviews and then, you know, signing bosses, all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it, it'll whack you pretty hard. Got it. And, and you said, I think the number that you said, uh, again, we'll, we'll do some of our own research here and link to some of this in the show notes and put some of that data in there. But I think you said it, when an employee leaves, you're ending up spending two to three times the amount of that salary just, of that employee and just replacing it, time loss, productivity, all that. Is that right? Exactly. And, and I Crazy. think the part that people really miss is the relationship loss, because, I mean, that's how business works, right? I mean, yeah, you can do a, a quote and all that, but it's, I mean, that's why people play golf together. <laughs> that's why they go fishing together and they do deals while they're playing tennis or whatever. And so, uh, man, you lose that relationship and it's tough to rebuild. On the sports side of things, I mean, that's an interesting point, too. I mean, as a fan, if you've got a ticket sales team, and there's a lot of turnover in that business alone on the, that side of the house around ticket sales, as a fan, you loved it because you had a guy, and that was your guy right. that you could call and they could solve problems for you. And when that person leaves, that's just a little bit, a little tear in the relationship yeah. between the bigger brand and that, that fan, that customer. Uh, and it takes time to rebuild that relationship. Yeah, I think a misconception that a lot of the leaders have is that they think organizations have relationships with organizations. They don't. I mean, Pepsi doesn't have a relationship with, you know, uh, I got to think one that they don't own. But, but you know, <laughs> but it, it's about people within the organization. And so uh, you you lose that and and it just makes life a lot, uh, a lot tougher. Let's talk about kind of the differences in generations. And now at this point, right, we've got got Gen Z's starting to come into the workplace. You've got your millennials, Gen X's, a lot of boomers still around in the sports space. A lot of them are still in those senior leader positions. Uh, what are some of the biggest similarities or core differences uh, in the ways that these different generations prefer to be recognized? Yeah, uh, I'm actually just had a research paper uh, accepted by Strategic HR Review where we studied 190,000 people. Wow. Uh, and divide them into seven uh, age groups from below 19 below up to 70 and above and a couple themes one is generally the patterns stay the same that words are the most desired by uh, every generation uh, quality time second acts of services next and then tangible gifts is way down there but uh, younger employees clearly value quality time more than their older um, colleagues and compatriots. And so that uh, getting together and hanging out together and doing things together is really important to them, uh, even to the point that for some of them, and a lot of them, it's more that important than other kinds of things, than, than money or uh, you know recognition. And interestingly, time also plays in there in the sense, uh, in, in our context, tangible gifts of flex time, right? Mm. When you've been traveling a lot and putting in some time, you know, getting a Friday off or, you know, leave early on, on the day you return or whatever, that's really important. Older employees, you know, a uh, lot, you know, you hear the stories about, you know, you get a, I don't know, a watch at retirement or something like that. It, it, it's virtually meaningless to, to older employees to get some kind of tangible gift in the certificate uh, uh, to hang on their wall. I mean, where are they going to hang it, you know? So the so you have to pay attention to the fact that, and what's, what's interesting on our assessment, we identify a person's least valued language, which is your one that you don't really care about. If your language is, is quality time, uh, your lowest language is quality time, and you have team members that have that, you got, we gotta help you figure out a plan how to make that happen, whether it's you or for your team. And so um, that along with it, we have a, a sort of expanded version that identifies how people don't want to be shown appreciation because you don't want to sort of do something that, you know, messes them up. 40% of employees don't want to go in front of a large group to be recognized. Uh, and I had one CFO uh, tell me, she said, you know, I got employee of the year and the big thing. And she said, I spent 15 to 20 minutes prior to getting the award in the bathroom throwing up. You know, it was just like 
creating all kinds of anxiety for her. And it's like, well, that was really <laughs> not in the right way. But, you know, it was like we didn't really show her appreciation. We created stress for her. Yeah. And, and that's and that's why, again, going back to the, your point earlier of really understanding at the individual level, how is it that that person wants to be appreciated? You can't have it's, it's OK to have a global platform or a global program, but it's got to be individualized to the individual person getting it because it's such an individual thing. Yeah. And let me give a tip to, to leaders about that. I mean, you can't know everybody and, you know, connect with everybody. So you got to figure out. There's sort of three groups to think about. One, remember that statistic, 79% of the people who don't feel valued leave. If you've got a team, key team member that you don't want to lose, you better make sure that they know that you value and appreciate them. Otherwise, they're on the trading block. I mean, somebody's either out coming to them or they're looking. Secondly, an easy win is to, to start with the people around you that if they didn't do what they do every day, your life would be a lot tougher at work. And you want to make sure that you know that they that you uh, observe that and value that and appreciate them. And the third group are people that are discouraged, right? I mean, people that are working hard on stuff and they're just hidden challenges and barriers from whether it's COVID or the economy or whatever, and they're doing a good job, but it's just not getting it done. It's really important. And one of the things we found is appreciation. The five languages work both for appreciation, which is about the past, things they've done, and it's also effective for encouragement, the present and the future coming alongside and say, hang in there, you know, and, you know, if somebody's got quality time, you know, you say, hey, let's go out and have a drink after work or, you know, go grab a bite to eat. And investing that time can be really encouraging to them and help keep them going and motivate them. That made me just think of something. I think something else leaders struggle with from what we've seen in our work is if I've got an employee that's underperforming, I'm quick to write them off. How, how can how do I appreciate how do I show appreciation from someone if they're underperforming? But oftentimes they might be underperforming because they've got so much work on them right. that uh, you know there's no other there's no other option. They can't possibly meet the expectations. So how do how do well, leaders balance that? Yeah, it's a great question, David, and and it goes to the heart of sort of what we're about. In that, actually, recognition programs only tend to hit the top ten or fifteen percent of a workforce. They're sort of your, you know, your key team uh, players. That means you got 50 to 60% of people in the middle that are doing a decent job, best they can potentially, showing up, doing the work. They don't hear anything. They're at risk for leaving. And that's where appreciation fits because, you know, we are people and we have characteristics that are valuable besides just performance, right? And, and you know, I've, I have twin sons. They're now adults. But first two years were hell, man. I mean, sleep deprivation to the max. And I was not the best at my job, right? But I didn't need, you know, sort of a rah-rah kind of thing or a goal. I just needed some support. And so sometimes we focus on what's going on uh, with them otherwise. I mean, personally, I like to work with cheerful people rather than grumpy people. It's not going to show up on their performance review, but man, I'm going to take a B player who's cheerful and easy to get along with rather than an A player that's just a jerk, you know? And so, you know, you can focus on that. Or it can be that, you know, let's say you got a single mom working for you that she's just super committed to her kids and you, you call her out and say, man, you know, Marta, I just, I'm so impressed with how much you love your kids, you're there for them. It's not about work, but it's showing value that you value what she's doing and who she is. And it creates a sense of relationship and loyalty. She's not going to be going anywhere if, if you, you know, uh, support that. So, uh, and then what happens is those people, you know, hang in there and often grow. I mean, think about a, let's, we're in football season right now. I mean, if you have a team and you got, you know, great quarterback, running back, you know, wide receivers, but your line sucks, you know, it, they're not going to do anything much very often. Uh, because you got to have the solid middle players too, you know? And so that's the same way on work teams. Not everybody's a star, but you need those solid middle people to get the tasks done. hundred percent. I, I love that you kind of called out that this middle group, which is the majority of the employees are really underappreciated. And if they're not pulling their weight and they're not being productive and feeling appreciated, it's hard for the high performers to sustain what, what they're doing. Um, exactly. 
Well, let's talk about some more, maybe some some trends that you're interested in right now in this space. Things that you're seeing. Obviously, you just did a big research paper, so maybe maybe that's the biggest thing that you're interested in right now. But are there other kind of fringe trends in this appreciation, recognition, employee experience uh, space that you're interested in keeping your eye on? Well, sure. I mean, in the last year, year and a half, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, change in the workforce as far as working from home and remotely. And, and so we actually created a, a virtual training kit that you can do by Zoom and also a form of our assessment that's uh, remote because the actions look different. I mean, how do you spend quality time remotely or in active service? So focusing on that. And, and let me just say what we learned from, from doing some research again on that was that sort of three key parts. One is if if you have remote or hybrid workers, you need to be proactive in showing appreciation because you don't have those sort of spontaneous situations where they stop by your office and stick your head in or you see, uh, you don't see them in the break room or coming in. So it's sort of like if you don't reach out to them and, and, and ping them, you know, it's not going to happen. Secondly, it's not just about the manager. It's about peers, right? That you want to encourage your team to stay connected with one another. And then the third part is that it needs to have some aspect of personal communication that it's not just about, hey, how's that project going or how the task going, but hey, did you, you know, there you, uh, you know, I got to go to a soccer game with a friend this weekend. It was sort of cool state championships and, you know, whatever you want to share. And I have to tell leaders, don't turn into sort of the interrogator where you're always asking people, but share a little bit about yourself and say, you know, I got to go sailing this weekend with my brother or whatever it might be. And being able to, it's really critical that I feel bad for groups that are just going to try to go totally virtual. I don't think that's sustainable uh, without having touchstones, touch points uh, along the way where people meet because you can only build a relationship to a certain level um, virtually. I understand the practical aspect of doing that, but I think there's got to be some personal interaction as well. Yeah, 100% agree. And, and our team actually has always been fully distributed. When I worked at Disney, I had a role where I was uh, work from home as well. And so I've, I've been doing this for seven, eight years. When we created engagement, it was like, let's go grab the best talent from all around the world, or not, or not around the world, but around the U.S., and at one point we had people in every single time zone in the US. But you're right, we had to be super, super intentional about it. I mean, one of the easy things that we did for recognition was bringing in custom Slack emojis. All our communication is on Slack. And so rather than when somebody did a good job, just giving them the thumbs up emoji, which can often feel very bland, we brought in all these custom emojis like Borat cheering or you know Mario Brothers dancing up and down. And, and it gives a little bit more personality but it still right. doesn't replace the times when we're able to get together in person because that's when you really start to see who the person is, what they care about, and you gotta have that touchstone piece. You're, I think you're right. Um, what are some opinions that you hear in, this, in your area of expertise here that you just disagree with, and why would that be? Well, I will sometimes, I don't know if it's often, but I'll sometimes hear people say, you know, we pay people and that's our appreciation. You know, it's like, you know, and, and or from from a boomer up, you know, it's like, well, nobody patted me on the back growing up and I turned out fine. So, you know, they just need to grow up. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. You know, the, the issue uh, people really do want to be appreciated. Should they? I don't know. But it's reality. And so either we live in reality or we, you know, fight it. Uh, the people that have that kind of attitude tend to have the highest turnover rates. Um, and also lowest morale um, and have to work really hard. And they tend to be sort of very, uh, I don't know, control power driven about stuff with and punitive as well. And so, you know, live how you want, but I don't think it's going to work. No, that makes sense. I, I remember hearing this stat a long time ago. I'll have to look it up. But it was something like once you make $70,000 or more, incremental rev incremental salary on top of that, very, very small impact on quality of life. Because uh, at that right. point, once you're making more than 70,000, you've got all your needs taken care of for the most part. You can pay your bills, you can pay off debt a little bit if you're saving. And so salary increases has very, very marginal impact on quality of life where appreciation can really drive that. And, and we're, you know, um, looking towards the holidays here. Um, and 
thinking about, you know, what's the most important sort of commodity people have in its time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when are they going to run errands? When are they going to uh, go shopping? When are they going to be able to take their kids to go shopping? When, you know, all the preparation stuff. And so uh, instead of giving people things like your employees, giving them some time off can be a huge win. Uh, it doesn't cost you a lot usually, and it, it helps impact their life. So any kind of free time or flex time could be a huge impact uh, in building positive things within your teams. Love it. All right, I wanna get into here the last couple minutes. What are some of your, the most creative recommendations or uh, creative activations, practices that you've seen for appreciation? Like some of your favorite all time. I have this mining company that I work with in uh, South Dakota and Wyoming and Colorado. And, you know, you you don't think about appreciation with tough guy kind of, you know, uh, industries. But uh, they just latched onto this, and we wound up taking it throughout the whole organization down to the cement truck drivers and, you know, the, the miners and all that. And they wanted to get – we have little visual symbols of each of our languages, and they wanted to get stickers to put on their hard hats uh, for that. Uh, and actually, and they wanted to make it sort of a deal that you had to be there past 90 days for your probation, you know, before you could actually go through the process. So it was a, a little bit of, you know, earn your keep kind of thing. But it was just cool to me that they, they liked it enough to, to want to put it on their hat, hard hats. And the, and the impact I had, that had, I'm guessing, is people were easily able then to customize how they showed appreciation. They didn't just give it based on how they want to receive it. They gave it based on the individual. Yeah, and actually probably the bigger impact is that it's just a reminder about communicating appreciation. Uh, so it just makes it part of your mindset of daily life as you work with your colleagues. Beautiful. Get, let, let's hear another one. I, I'm sure you're filled with stories on creative practices for appreciation. Well, I had one uh, group that uh, was sort of a, at least a, a regional company had different offices, but what they did is they created uh, note cards uh, stations that they basically gave uh, and provided free note cards for people to be able to pick and write a note to somebody. They also created their own posters. They created t-shirts where, you know, they had uh, their language on it. And they also had a celebration and some people wrote some songs about the different languages. So, you know, it's fun when people sort of take who they are and their culture and incorporate this for what fits for them. I love it. And again, if you're listening to this and you're in the sports and entertainment space, there are so many things from a culture perspective that you can use to drive appreciation or to give appreciation, but also drive loyalty to your brand uh, and and passion around your brand because you've got so much IP and so many resources to be able to go do that. Well, uh, Paul, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure we get in here in the last couple of minutes? I think I just want to emphasize that, you know, it can sound and feel overwhelming, like, you know, I got to figure out what everybody wants and doesn't do that. It's it's more important than, you know, I work with computer and IT and engineer guys, and they want to, you know, do a spreadsheet and, you know, a, a Gantt chart and just get it all figured out. But then they never actually do anything. And so I, I just encourage people, start somewhere with someone. Okay, and using words is probably the easiest and it's the safest. You can say uh, something to somebody um, and, you know, be specific and tell them why it's important. Or if you're introverted, just write them a note in in a handwritten note. That's, you know, generational differences. Twenty something guys don't give a rip about a handwritten note. I mean, just don't don't spend the time. on. I mean, it's more important about the speed in which you get back to them as far as if they did something the next day or two. After two days, you're sort of into history. So you need to get back to them. But just think of somebody that, you know, like we talked about, if, if they didn't do what they do, your daily life would be tougher. And, and just communicate that to them, and you'll see how easy it is. And then see, you know, sort of uh, check out and see if there's somebody else that would be interested in, in pursuing this because it's easier to sort of have a team member that you can do it together versus trying to push it by yourself. Beautiful. And uh, so many different ways to be able to give appreciation and uh, Dr. White, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it. Uh, if people want to learn more about your programs, your book, obviously we've talked about it a little bit here on some of the great work that you're doing with organizations to help 
them create a culture where appreciation is a high priority. Where can they find you? What are some of the resources that you've got available for people to get started? Yeah, sort of the mothership website is, is just appreciationatwork.com, and it's the word at, so appreciationatwork.com. It's got our books. It has uh, the inventories, uh, training materials, um, and uh, different. we have a new book coming out in January uh, about resolving, uh, both avoiding and resolving conflict in the workplace. We have some stuff on how to survive toxic workplaces, if you happen to be in that, or maybe your spouse does. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, yeah, appreciationatwork.com. And, um, and and if they got questions, whether there's you know, an admin emailing them, just ping us and we'll, we'll get a hold of them and find out what's up. Perfect. Are there any other places where you're putting out content or whatnot so people can follow along, maybe a Twitter handle or anything like that? Yeah, I do a little bit of Twitter, but probably my blog. I mean, do a weekly blog, uh, which is just part of the, the website. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewed by the BBC News uh, recently, you know, cited by H, uh, Harvard Business Review. So um, that'll probably get you the, the where you need to go. Facebook as well. but uh, And I'm on LinkedIn, just Dr. Paul White. BBC News, Harvard Business Review, flip the switch with engagement. I mean, you're on there all. You the, go. There you go. You're on all. I got all the highest, uh, all the highest outlets. So, uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show, and really looking forward to our next conversation. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.